The reading today is from Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. Uh, if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. A very warm welcome. It's great to be here with you. If you're new on this Sunday, then an especially warm welcome. Um, do come and introduce yourself to one of us afterwards. We're going to be continuing our summer sermon series this morning, The Church on Fire. For the last two weeks, we've looked at the fire which fell on the believers at Pentecost. We've examined what happens when the fire falls but today's passage shows us what happens when the fire stays. For what the early church experienced at Pentecost was not a one-off touch from God. It was not just a brief visitation. It was the beginning of an abiding fire, an abiding presence of God. The Holy Spirit came to stay. The fire that came down stayed with them, and they stayed with the fire the early disciples fueled that fire. They stoked the blaze. They stewarded what had been released from heaven. They found every last bit of firewood they could, and they fed that fire. And our passage paints a picture of what that looks like. They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. This was teaching they just heard from Peter. It was a red-hot gospel message, teaching that emerged from the fire, teaching that made them hungry for more. They also devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread in their homes and eating together. They stayed close to others who were on fire, other burning ones. And they met together every single day in the temple courts to worship. They stoked the fire with passionate worship. They raised the hands that had been touched with fire, and they fed the fire with prayer. They were devoted to prayer. You can't carry the fire without developing a prayer life. It's impossible. They also shared what they had with those in need. The fire was stoked through radical acts of generosity. If we love money more than we love God, we cannot carry the fire. But if God can trust us with material riches, we will be trusted with spiritual riches, spiritual fire. So this is what the early church was doing after Pentecost, meeting together, pressing in, praying, giving. They caught the fire and they threw every bit of firewood they could at it. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see a shadow of this stewardship of fire in the Old Testament. God said to Moses in Leviticus 6, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood 
and arrange the offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. Every single morning, we must add firewood. With our prayer, our worship, our devotion, we must keep fueling the fire. For Jesus is jealous for us to be on fire. He told his disciples, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. He's seeking a bride on fire. And many of us will have experienced this fire in the past. Perhaps even many years ago, we may have had an encounter with God, a time when we were touched by heaven, filled with the Holy Spirit, turned upside down. And sometimes this happens at church or at conferences or summer camps. At other times, in the secret place of prayer, we have our own Pentecost moments with God. But how easy is it for that to fade away in the following days or weeks? It can become a brief visitation, not an ongoing habitation of greater levels of the Spirit, because we don't steward the flame. But we were never meant to cool off. There's no such thing as the spiritual gift of cooling off. And being spiritually asleep has consequences. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter fell asleep when he should have been praying. His original name was Simon, and part of the root of that word means reed, unstable reed. When Jesus met him, he renamed him Peter the Rock, and he called him Peter from that time on. But in the Garden, Jesus surprisingly refers back to him as Simon his old name, because he'd been choosing to sleep instead of pray. When we are spiritually sleepy instead of prayerful, our old selves come back to haunt us. But the new self can only come through fire. When Peter got the fire back, he never made the same mistake. He never let the fire go out. There have been many times in my life when I have lost the fire, seasons when I've not been putting the firewood on every morning, seasons where I've grown dry in prayer, I've stopped gathering with others in church, I've kind of tiptoed back from the altar. It's really easy to just grow cold without even realizing it. But when we wake up to our condition, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance and we get to fuel the fire again. We must keep the fire Burning, And if we do, it's amazing what happens. When that abiding blaze came to the early church, three things emerged from the fire. Supernatural unity, powerful signs and wonders, and deep, deep joy. Let's start with unity. It was the fire of the Spirit that melted them together into a supernatural unity. Earlier in the chapter, we read that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, but after the fire came, their unity grew even deeper. Our passage says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone in need. Their sharing, their radical generosity was a manifestation of their unity. And later in Acts 4, it says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and they had everything in common. One heart and soul. But it was a unity that's been elusive for much of church history. It's been so hard to maintain, and it cannot be accomplished in the flesh. 
when we tried to attain our own unity at Babel, God scattered the people, giving them different languages. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gave the disciples a language that every single nation could understand. We learn from this that true unity comes through the fire of the Spirit, not through the efforts of the flesh. It is the fire that melts us all together. In John 17, Jesus prays for the church to have this unity, saying to the Father, I have given them, the church, the glory you gave me so they may be one. It's in his glorious presence that we're brought into unity and made one. And this was also true under the old covenant. How do you keep a million wandering, grumbling Israelites 12 competing tribes of men, women, and children, countless animals, all together, trekking through an arid arid desert for 40 years. How are they kept together when the natural inclination would be to scatter? It's completely impossible, but also very simple. It was the presence of God, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night led them out of Egypt. Early in their journey, Moses set up a tent of meeting, but he put it at a distance outside the camp, and the fire would come down, but only when Moses went into the tent. Later, when Moses built the tabernacle, God told him to place it at the very center of the camp, and the fire came to stay. Numbers 9:15 says this, on the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. This is how it continued to be. The fire continued to be. It was habitation, not visitation. That was God's heart. And they built their lives around his presence. When the cloud moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped and built their camp around the presence. Unity comes through fire. And this is what the early church experienced in an even deeper way at Pentecost. The fire fell and they were of one heart and one mind. So firstly, unity emerged from the flames and secondly, the church moved in powerful signs and wonders. Many wonders, our passage says. Miracles flowed in the weeks, months and years following the day of Pentecost. They never stopped. Later on in Acts, it says, signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. They gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The church continued to be clothed in power, and they got their power from exactly the same place. They got their unity. It flowed from the fire of his presence. It was an abiding fire. Have you ever personally had a longing to see more of the power of God? Have you ever longed to see more healings in your life or the lives of others? Have you ever longed for spiritual breakthrough? Then build a fire and fan the flame. Whenever there is fire, you get the signs and wonders. Think of Moses when God's fire fell on the burning bush. That ordinary shepherd staff of Moses became invested with supernatural power, so much so that he could hold it up and part the Red Sea. 
there was more power in that staff than in the whole of Egypt. First the fire came down, then the power, the signs, and the wonders. The Israelites didn't need to work it up. It was a natural byproduct of fire. This was their experience. When the Israelites were leaving Egypt, the entire nation was healed. All of them. Scripture says there was not one feeble, there was not one infirm person among them as they left. Then as they followed the cloud, the miracles started to break out. Water flowed from the rock at Moses' command. Manna and quail fell from the sky for them to eat. They had miracle shoes and clothes that didn't wear out for 40 years of marching through the wilderness. They experienced every kind of sign and wonder, and it wasn't because of their own godliness or their own brilliance, quite the opposite. But they followed the cloud of fire, so the miracles followed them. We must embrace the fire. Under the new covenant, we are invited to experience even more because it's a superior covenant. The early church developed such a reputation for miracles that by Acts 5, it says people carried the sick onto the streets, laid them on mats, hoping that the shadow of Peter might heal him. How could a shadow heal people? Because Peter was overshadowing others with what overshadowed him, the presence of God. And it wasn't just Peter or the other apostles working these miracles. In our passage, it says the apostles did the healings. But it didn't last very long, because within a few chapters, even those chosen to hand out food and serve the tables like Stephen were doing in Acts 6, great signs and wonders. From the most senior apostle down to the staff who were serving the tables, it was all of them, and nothing should have changed. But it only comes through fire. Many, many years ago, I went on a really stretching mission trip to Mexico. I was thrown in the deep end, if I'm honest. I was completely out of my depth. And at one point during the trip, five of us were put in a random car. We had no idea where we were going, how long it would take. But we ended up in a church just outside Mexico City. And as we prayed before the morning, before the service, I I had a really unusual uh, prophetic sense that a cloud of God's presence was going to descend upon the people there. And when we went in, we were brought to the front, but we had little time to prepare. We didn't know what we were doing. The mission leaders were not with us. So each of the five of us attempted in turn to give a a mini preach, but it wasn't great. And thankfully, there was some really good uh, worship going on. And the people there were so passionate for God. They had so much faith. And as we were worshiping, what I saw before the meeting started to happen. The presence of God started to roll in from the back of the building forward. And in the spirit, I saw it like a cloud. And the cloud slowly covered the entire church. And without us even praying or really doing anything at all, people started to get healed in the cloud. And at the end of the meeting, when one of the leaders asked people to wave their arms if they were healed, about half the people in that church started waving their arms. And some of them on the way out filled in testimony slips. And I'd love to show you a photo, photo number one, 
Uh, this is one of the guys on the trip with us, and he is holding a fat wadge of uh, testimony slips from that night. For the glory of God, every single per, uh, piece of paper in his hand represented a person healed the hour beforehand. And only a fraction of those healed even filled the slips in. And one of my favorite miracles from that night was the healing of our translator's little sister, if you could show the second and final photo. So that's my wife, uh, Rebecca, in the middle. Our translator is the taller girl on the side. And the younger girl in the red coat, about five minutes before this photo was taken, she was immobile, on crutches. Couldn't move without great pain, hobbling around. But in the cloud, she was completely healed. And my jaw dropped as she threw her crutches aside and she ran before my very eyes, round the church, round and round and round and round, until she lost her breath and we pinned her down for a photo. <laughs> it felt like something extraordinary happened. It felt like something from the book of Acts. So I asked myself, why did so many people get healed that night? Honestly, it was a night of shambolic, amateurish ministry, we barely prayed for anyone. We barely laid hands on anyone. The glory, the crowd was healed because the glory came. The fire of God brought them into freedom. So the fire brings unity, power, and finally, joy, which I'll briefly mention. The early church was marked by joy. Our passage states that they had glad hearts as they fellowshiped with one another. I'm not sure where the world thinks joy is located, but scripture gives us the exact coordinates for joy. Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. The Acts 2 church were experiencing joy because they had the abiding fire of God's presence. This has always been the way. Leviticus 9 says this, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord. If you want the fire, chase the presence. Fire came out from the presence and consumed the offerings. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy. Joy is proportional to our experience of the presence of God. When was the last time you saw true joy? The times I've most often seen genuine joy on people's faces is just after they've really encountered the Holy Spirit. The early church had joy because they had his presence. They had everything because they had the fire. So this is where we land by the ends of Acts Chapter two, the fire falls, then the fire stays. They fuel the fire and experience unity, power, and joy. There is no plan B to fire. If you try to get those things through the efforts of the flesh, good luck. It even says in scripture, cursed is the man who relies on the flesh. It only comes by fire. So many church movements and denominations have started in fire and ended in flesh. They often begin with their own Pentecost, their own visitation, and they explode. But over time, the fire starts to go out. 
the challenge in the West is the temptation to just rely on all the incredible resources we have, our buildings, our budget, our qualifications, our ministry models, or even just our own intense self-effort, rather than relying on fire and trusting the fire to do its work among us. The early church had nothing, but they had everything because they had the fire of God. And also because they didn't give in to fear. Stewarding fire involves putting the fear of God before the fear of man. It involves chasing the cloud before chasing the crowd. After Pentecost, the disciples, they just ran with what they had. They didn't snuff it out, they didn't back off. And sometimes the fire can go out because we pull back, afraid of what others might think, afraid people might leave, so we tone it down. But if you do that, you're literally asking God to leave the room. Nothing quenches the spirit faster than the fear of man. But the truth is that fire actually attracts people. When a fire is built, people always gather to get warmed by God. A.W. Tozer wrote, there were thousands of other scrubby thorn bushes in that desert, but Moses only stopped to see the one that burnt. When the church is on fire, others will stop to see the flames. At Pentecost, the fire attracted the crowd. It didn't disperse it, and 3,000 people were saved in one day. Whenever there are great manifestations of the Spirit, there is always a great harvest. Tozer said this, when we experience fire, then God is no longer a theory. If you want to experience God as a burning reality, then get the fire and every morning keep throwing the firewood on. Stir up a blaze and see what Jesus does. Amen.